Good morning and a very warm welcome to Essex Church, home of Kensington Unitarians. This community is made up of all who come through our doors, whether you've been coming here for years or this is your very first visit. You're all very welcome. Welcome to this time of worship, the time when we acknowledge the worth of ourselves, of one another and of all creation. I begin by lighting our chalice candle, the symbol of our worldwide Unitarian, Unitarian Universalist community. May the light we now kindle inspire us to use our powers to heal and not to harm, to help and not to hinder, to bless and not to curse, to serve you, Spirit of Freedom. And some opening words attributed to Kaladis Dasa. Look to this day, for it is life the very life of life. In its brief course lie all the verities and realities of your existence, the bliss of growth, the glory of action, the splendour of beauty. For yesterday is but a dream, and tomorrow is only a vision. But today, well lived, makes every yesterday a dream of happiness, and every tomorrow a vision of hope. Look well, therefore, to this day. Divine Spirit of the Universe, we bring before you the concerns of all our hearts. Open our eyes to recognize all the gifts we have been given. Help us to be open to all the potential opportunities in our lives. And give us the insight and the strength to bring healing and wholeness to the people and situations we encounter. May it be so. Amen. The first reading that I'd like to share with you this morning uh, is taken from a book that I know some of you have uh, studied. Um, It's 12 Steps to Spiritual Health uh, by the Reverend Dr. David Usher, who up until recently was the district minister for the London and South East District. And then he was lured away to the charms of California. So uh, this, is, uh, this is David's thoughts. A healthy personal spirituality is discovered as part of a larger community. Many people say something like, I have my own personal beliefs but I don't need to go to church or be part of a community because I can have my beliefs and I can practice them in my own way. I can commune with my God on the golf course or in the garden or lying in and reading the Sunday papers, to which the only appropriate response, in the words of David Usher, is bullshit. Yes, God can be discovered and personal spiritual growth can be nurtured while hiking on a mountain trail or tending to one's roses, or listening to fine music, or in the company of beloved friends. 
Yes, moments of spiritual epiphany can come unexpected and unbidden. Yes, belonging to a religious community can be vexatious and tedious. But without a sense of belonging, without a community to which one has made a commitment, there is much less likely to be the necessary discipline or stamina to sustain the hard work of attaining spiritual health. Because, make no mistake, being spiritually healthy requires hard work. It requires dedication and patience and persistence. Spiritual health is not to be found in an occasional visit to the spiritual spa. It is not the work of spare moments when it suits, when there is nothing more interesting or distracting to do. The primary purpose of a religious community is to provide the environment of encouragement and support which will make that hard work possible, and also provide the tools with which to do that work. It also provides an historical context. The religious community is composed not only of its present members, but of the many generations who have gone before, who through their own search for spiritual truths have paved the way for us to follow. The religious community is also about the generations yet to come. We today are part of the ongoing community of those engaged in the spiritual quest. Some thoughts from David Usher. The second reading I'd like to share with you this morning uh, is taken from a book written by an American uh, Roman Catholic layman um, who's looking at the rule of St. Benedict and how it might apply to everyday life. So it's written from that perspective. So Robert Benson writes this. Welcoming the stranger is only a mildly interesting theological discussion if we never actually meet one. For those of us who are church folks, those who like to talk about community and fellowship and the rest, the great risk is not that we will never find any sense of community in our lives. The risk is that we will spend half our lives driving across town to get it. And even then we may not find community. We may only find a crowd of folks who are just like us. It could be that, in a way, we are only welcoming our own sweet selves. And it could be that community can be seen, maybe even should be seen, in a different light altogether, the light shared by the rule of St. Benedict. One of these lights is geographic. In monastic settings in Benedict's time, there was a sense in which the world was a smaller place. Most monks spent their whole lives in one place, rarely venturing beyond the walls, if at all. The community was a crowd of people made up of those you knew and lived with. The exceptions were guests and pilgrims and travellers who were welcomed into the community for brief periods of time. This picture may still hold true in some cases, but the modern world clearly shapes certain aspects of today's monastic world. I know more than one nun who possesses a mobile telephone and an email address and a website. 
Being a monk or a nun does not call for less engagement with the world, but rather a deeper engagement. The use of modern tools is nothing more than another way of being engaged. For those of us who do not live as monks or nuns, one of the difficulties we face is the way we drive away to work, away to school, away to worship. The same is true for those who ride away to those places on a bus or a train. The temptation is to keep driving until we find a community we like better than the one to which we have been given. The one that lives and moves and has its being in the neighbourhood in which we live. But all who present themselves are to be welcomed as Christ, Benedict writes. The temptation is to merely wave at our community as we pass by on the way to a place where everyone on either side of the welcome mat is almost exactly like us. We do find community there, of course, and rightly so. What is perhaps not so right is that we often ignore rather than welcome the Christ who lives next door or down the block or around the corner. We are often so busy searching for community on the other side of town, we fail to be truly present to the one in which we live. We are often so intent on building community where we work, we fail to notice the people around us. We are often so anxious to find a community of like-minded folk around whom we can feel comfortable, we fail to greet the Christ in the stranger we meet or in the neighbour whose name we cannot remember. I wonder sometimes what keeps me from opening my arms a little wider and offering welcome to some folks who are not like me. Do I only want to agree with people instead of being engaged with people? Do I want to hang on to all of my treasured points of view and not have any of them challenged? Am I afraid I will be asked to do something harder or messier than I want to do? Am I fearfully ignoring the naked and hungry and thirsty Christ down the street in the name of heading across town to be with the people of God? A priest once told me he thought the opposite of love was not hate. The opposite of love, he said, is fear. Fear can be just as hard on welcome. Hospitable is a difficult posture if you cannot let go of your fears and hold out your hands. Opening your hands to receive anyone at all is impossible while your fists are holding on to your positions so tightly your knuckles have turned white. Some thoughts from Robert Benson. The title of my sermon this morning came from the new strapline of the General Assembly of Unitarian and Free Christians, commonly known as the GA. As a creedless denomination, I suppose it's the nearest thing we will get to having a creed, a statement that both sums up what we believe and helps us to aspire to it. Nurturing faith, embracing life, celebrating diversity. I thought, therefore, it would be worth spending a little time this morning reflecting on these three statements. Nurturing faith. 
Now these two words can be understood in two ways. They remind us that our liberal religious tradition should be a faith that nurtures people, that enables them to grow. But we should also be a community that nurtures faith, that enables people to explore what they really believe, how they see the world, what is the bigger picture, the meta-narrative, if you like, in which they understand their own story. One of the dangers of just seeing ourselves as a faith that nurtures is that this can be misinterpreted as a faith that simply helps me to look at my desires, my needs, and to explore what I can get out of it. In a recent article in the, in the Herald, the magazine of the Unitarian Christian Association, the Reverend Peter Bulata, an American Unitarian Universalist minister, reflects on this potential danger. He recalls a conversation he had with a man who was doing some building work for the church. He told Peter that his son had asked him what Unitarian Universalists believed. And he had replied, well, they don't really believe anything specific. It's a religion where whatever you think or believe is what the religion is all about. Peter writes about how he later reflected on this perception of us and asks whether it's true that a faith community in which one is free to search for truth and meaning, gathered around basic principles and values rather than beliefs and doctrines, could be in danger of becoming a community that just makes up stuff as we go along to suit ourselves. Echoing the words of David Usher in our first reading, he argues that a disciplined search for truth and meaning takes effort. It, not surprisingly, takes discipline. And that being unencumbered by doctrine ought not to imply that doctrine is not examined for the truth that it may contain. He reminds us that we should be a community of seekers, not just a series of individuals who turn up at the same time on a Sunday morning to do our own thing. He writes, Engaging one another in a spirit of curiosity, openness and humility, with the recognition that we might be mistaken or our own perspective might be partial, is the opposite of institutional self-involvement. And there is a contradiction inherent in liberal religion. We are free, autonomous individuals in community with one another. Tension exists between freedom and connection, autonomy and community. There's no getting round it. Our calling is to live gracefully in that tension, holding them with equanimity, without being weighted towards individual freedom and autonomy. The challenge therefore for us is to be a community that nurtures faith, that provides us with the tools to think critically about what we believe. But we should also be a faith that nurtures, that enables the individual to develop, a faith that embraces life. Embracing life. The second part of our strapline reminds me of the story that I've told here before about the young man who told his college chaplain that he wouldn't be coming to chapel anymore because the church doesn't scratch where I itch. 
It doesn't answer the questions that I'm asking. One of the reasons that I became a Unitarian was that I felt that the mainstream Christian churches spent a lot of time arguing about theological statements that bore little relationship to people's real lives, to my real life, and very little time looking at the real issues of life. It often felt that we had, to, that we had created a life of normality out of a 1950s or 60s television sitcom and expected people to fit into it. Yet we know now that much of the 50s and 60s respectable family life was anything but that. When we try to suppress feelings or desires or hide parts of ourselves that we consider might be unacceptable, there is a danger that these feelings fester and come out in distorted ways. When we can acknowledge them and integrate them, they lose power over us. We are challenged not just to accept life, but to embrace it, to see the potential in all life. But to embrace life, we need to be open to life, to risk changing our perspective. For example, our definition of a fulfilled life may end up being very different from our first understanding of that phrase. I remember when I was a district nurse in Edinburgh, there was a young man that I visited every morning. He'd been a milkman with very few aspirations, but was very content with his life. He then had an accident which left him paralysed from the chest down with just limited movement in his arms. He could have seen this as the end of a fulfilled life, but instead he saw it as a challenge an opportunity to re-look at his life and his values. After months of rehabilitation, he began to work for a disability charity and eventually became its director. And would often travel around the United Kingdom and abroad speaking at conferences on disability. He once told me that although he still found life frustrating and wished that the accident had never happened, paradoxically, his life was now much more fulfilled than it had been when he was delivering milk. I'm also reminded of an old woman I knew in Notting Hill in the 1970s, before it became posh, when all those large houses that now contain one or two people uh, were multiple occupancy uh, houses with 15 to 20 people living in bedsits. She was in her 80s, and her room was so small and filled with books that she had no room for a bed and would simply roll down a mattress at night to sleep. But rather than feeling sorry for herself, she embraced life to the full. She would attend free lectures and con concerts, was always studying something new and would introduce groups of foreign students to the history of London and treated Kensington Gardens as if it was her own front lawn. I would suggest that, therefore, that part of our role as a religious community is to help one another to accept life as it really is, in its totality, warts and all. But also our role is to help one another to see, to open our eyes, eyes to life in all its richness and diversity. As religious seekers, we can sometimes be so keen to move on to the next experience 
but we fail to see what is in front of us. In our second reading, Robert Benson wrote, We are often so busy searching for community on the other side of town that we fail to be truly present to the one in which we live. It could also be said that we are often so busy searching for life for life on the other side of town that we fail to be truly present to the life that is ours. Nurturing faith, embracing life, celebrating diversity. Notice we are called upon not to tolerate diversity or to put up with diversity, but to celebrate diversity. Robert Benson poses a question that I could helpfully ask myself. I wonder sometimes what keeps me from opening my arms a little wider and offering welcome to folk who are not like me. Do I really want to agree with people instead of being engaged with people? Do I want to hang on to all my treasured points of view and not have any of them challenged? Am I afraid that I will be asked to do something harder or messier than I want to do? Perhaps before we can truly celebrate diversity, we need to acknowledge that we do sometimes find it difficult, a bit scary, a little bit challenging. We rejoice that we are an open, inclusive community that welcomes all. But I wonder whether there is the slightest possibility that although one of the tenets of Unitarianism is that there is no way to the divine or one philosophy that leads us to a good life, we secretly believe that if there were, it would be Unitarianism. (laughs) And perhaps we rejoice in our inclusivity so that we can look down at those communities that we consider exclusive and bigoted. I remember an old friend of mine, a genuinely saintly person, say to me, I always saw myself as an open person who wasn't bigoted. Then I realised that I was bigoted against bigots. I really need to work on understanding them, not agreeing with them, but engaging with them rather than simply shutting them out. One of the problems with diversity is that you can never say that you've arrived. Just when you think that you can cope with diverse views and diverse people, you can be sure that another diverse one will come along that you will find challenging. But I believe it's only when we acknowledge the challenge of diversity that we can begin to celebrate it and celebrate genuine diversity and not just the lowest common denominator. Finally, I suggest that it is when we have a nurturing faith that embraces all of life that we can celebrate diversity. And when we work at all three, we will have a genuine gift to share with the world. Amen. For all who see God, may God go with you. For all who embrace life, May life return your affection. For all who seek a right path, may a way be found and the courage to take it step by step. Let us go in peace. Amen.